Coming up next, it's live from my office, a very cool edition. If you're purchasing a new home, refinancing the one you're in, or securing a VA loan or reverse mortgage, do what I have done many times. I call Team Hochberg when it involves money in my house. Team Hochberg is your trusted local lender. Let me tell you about Liam. Liam is a trucker, called for a free consultation because he was getting charged high closing costs by those rocket-loving lenders. Team Hochberg's loan officer, Johnny Hendrickson, explained the cost that Rocket Loving Lending charged him the last time he refinanced were ridiculous. Johnny then helped Liam lower his rate, pay off his debt, secure a full closing cost credit. Try to try, You try to say that fast. And that lowered his payment almost $300 a month. So let's review. Rocket Loving Lending took Liam for a rocket ride, and not a good one, by charging him ridiculously high closing costs. Meanwhile, Team Hochberg who doesn't own a rocket, helped secure Liam a lower rate, a full closing cost credit, saved him over $3,500 a year. Well, that's good money. Listen, you live from my office listeners, Team Hochberg can help you avoid getting violated by lenders charging ridiculously high closing costs, but they can't do it. If you don't call 855-56-DAVID or go to 56david.com, 855-563-2843 or 56david.com, and in these crazy interest rate times, it's more important than ever to call an expert, the expert, the only one I trust, David Ockberg and T. Ockberg, at lower.com, an equal housing lender, NMLS number 1124061. Welcome once again to Live from My Office. This is Steve Cochran. I appreciate you listening wherever you listen and wherever you Follow me on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to rate, review, and follow so you never miss a single episode. And Those ratings and reviews help us, and I appreciate that. Of course, it's always brought to you by the good people at Team Hochberg, David Hochberg, 855-56-DAVID, 56david.com. If it involves money in your house, he's the guy and his team are the folks to talk to even in these Crazy, crazy times. You see, I'm cooling it up already. Crazy. We're going to talk with my friend Ed Mann today. Ed Mann is a radio pal from way, way, way back. I mean, we've known each other 30 plus years, did some syndicated stuff together. And Ed is also a genius musician. He would hate the title, but he really is. A great jazz man, a great player. And uh, Ed's got a new album coming out. We'll talk about that. We're also going to remember the great Ramsey Lewis and uh, get a little jazz 101 in the process. Uh, Before we're done, we'll play some cool music for you, sample a little bit of Ramsey Lewis, and uh, Ed's favorite jazz cut ever. Uh, In addition to playing for you something from his new album, which will be out soon, he'll be back to talk about that. That's all coming up on a very cool edition of Live from My Office, which continues with... Ed Mann, right after this. Awfully glad to have the great people at Cantini Golf here on Live from My Office as well. Uh, Live from My Office, uh, you know, I take a lot of time off from this show, this podcast, uh, to play golf. You may not know that because you may not know that I love golf, but I do. And I love Cantini Golf because it's a fabulous golf course. And you know what else I like about these people? It's customer service first and foremost. And even with that, always looking to do more to make your day great at Cantini, they go the extra mile in other ways too. There's the Red Oak Club. You can join it for free and start earning points towards all sorts of rewards, including lessons, food in the Fairways Grill, and free golf too. Sign up in a golf shop or call 630-260-8197. There's the Colonel Robert R. McCormick Honor Club with special privileges for active duty military and veterans as well. Could save you some money. It's just a small way to say thank you. There's the Young Executive Program for you 30 and under business big shots. Reduced rates on great golf because, you know, look, you're under enough pressure at work. Special tournaments and events all season long. It's all at cantinigolf.com, but don't ever hesitate to pick up the phone and ask the questions. You know, the people on the other end of the phone are actually going to be happy to hear from you. 630-260-8197. Cantinigolf.com is C-A-N-T-I-G-N-Y. Cantinigolf.com. This is live from my office. You know, and I've, I've said this many times, I'm blessed in my life to 
know the people I know and have the friends I have. And like most grown men, I have a small circle of close friends. And the guest is someone I don't see nearly enough. But whenever we get together, whatever we talked, it's like 10 minutes went by. It's my friend, Ed Mann. Ed, how are you? I'm great, Steve. How are you? I miss you, buddy. I miss you, too. I got to get to Chicago and see you. You got to get to L.A. It'd be great. I'd love to see you in person. And congratulations on WLS. It's just gives me chills just to say the call letters. It's just a Tell everybody, for the Chicago listeners anyway, um, you told me a cool story on the phone about think of WLS and its peak with John Landecker and Larry Lujak. You went in and met those guys? I did. Um I had listened uh, back in the day. You could hear LS in Los Angeles at night. Mm-hmm. It was an AM station bounced off uh, the ionosphere and I could hear it. And it was like at night I turned it on and there was this lovely uh, d- uh named Yvonne Daniels, who I guess is a local legend there in Chicago and she sure. passed away a while ago. But um, I called her and I said, Hey, I'm listening to you in LA. And she, you know, practically you know, freaked out. I said, well, you know, I'd like to get out there and meet you. I actually had uh, at that time a girlfriend who was living out in that general area. I love how much game you had. How old were you then? Oh, I was 22, 23 game. <laughs> you know, a girlfriend I liked. And, you know, it, it wasn't like, here, you. Uh, l- l- no, no, you. No, no, it was- right, right, right. Just let just let them bounce off you. Yeah, please. So um, <clears throat> Yvonne invited me up and I met all those guys. I sat in with John. There's afternoon show, and I just fell in love with radio, and I knew that this was something I absolutely had to do. I was just leaving UCLA, so I knew this was something I had to do. And the station is just, you know, you know Chicago radio, even now, so, but certainly then, was the only game in town for entertainment. You know, right. It was, TV was like, fine. You have your local weather personalities. <laughs> it was like, was was Brant Miller, I think, did weather, and a few other people that you know were able to entertain doing local stuff and local talk shows. But it was a radio man, you know, it was the Larry Lujeks and the John Landeckers and the Bob Surratt's and all these guys. And they were just huge. And I was able to hear them in L.A. So it was something I got to be very, very familiar with. Now, you have to be um, 50 or older, I suppose, to understand how big a deal top 40 radio was. Right. But anybody over that age certainly heard of WLS uh, in here in the Midwest and in Chicago in particular, um, you know, it was mammoth. I was on the other coast. I was in upstate New York, and I would listen as well as WLS became a nighttime national signal. I was doing my homework to John Leckert and Landecker doing a, a bit he did every night uh, called Boogie Check. Yep. And uh, Ed and I grew up in a radio business kind of together, and he became a, a, a radio um, business maven while I became, you know, I continued to be a kind of a dipshit talent. Um and uh, that's not on any business card, by the way. No. Um, but uh, yeah, radio has led you in a million different directions. But before any of that came music, which is kind of the primary reason I wanted you to jump on the podcast, because uh, you are a great jazz player. You've been a great jazz player forever. But when did the love of jazz start? Well, first of all, I've been a great jazz player forever. Uh, maybe in the last six months, it sort of like clicked in a little bit. Um, it, it, it's... <laughs> It's something you never stop learning, you know, and then you listen back to what you did two years ago and you're like, oh, please, why didn't I think of that and this and do this? It's 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 a constant evolving language for you as you go. But what got me going was my dad, who was not a musician by any stretch. He couldn't sing in tune. He couldn't keep time. My mother was a musician. She, she studied music at the University of Texas. And God bless you still around. My dad passed years ago, but um, I'd come home. Of course, my mother was furious. He'd have uh, Louis Armstrong at full volume on whatever stereo speaker. Really? Yeah. And he just would, it was always Dixieland. It was always some form and fashion of that. And he would just be cranking. And I heard that trumpet and I was like, wow, what's that? You don't hear that on the radio. That's amazing. And it just stuck in my head. And one day they got me a trumpet to play and I was in the fourth grade. And uh, I just couldn't put it down. I said, this is the sound I like. I like this sound. And I still play the damn thing, even though there's a trombone sitting over here. Well, but what else can you play? You can play trombone. What else can you play? I play some trombone. Yeah, I play a little bit, but very little. I, I, I use it to warm up and goof around. It, it, I'm not, not terribly good at that at all. Uh, it's not my main instrument. But um, um, the Keyboards? A little bit. Yeah, yeah. My mother was a keyboard player, so I, I learned a lot from her. And uh, when I work out chords to a song, I, I go to the piano. Uh, but don't ask me to play in a band. It just won't work. It's just how about guitar? 
No, no, I don't. I've never, never. No. Isn't that funny? I mean, I was always, as many of us were growing up in the 70s, 80s, it's guitar music, you know, 60s, particularly. My God. Sure. And, uh, <clears throat> but that sound just wasn't, as they say, in your head. That wasn't the sound I wanted to express. Uh, but jazz, trumpet, even classical trumpet was a sound that was really deep inside me. I loved it. You've got an album you are about finished with, and we're going to play something off it before we're done here, but we're also going to remember the great Ramsey Lewis um, and uh, a couple of surprises that I found just in getting ready for this and a couple of things you sent me. And then, of course, I'm going to ask you the cliched question, the greatest jazz cut of all time, according to Ed Mann. But uh, a couple of stupid uh, jazz questions from um, this side of the microphone. Why is it always a trio? Interesting question. It, it, it's the classic jazz setup. Uh, piano, uh, drums, and bass is the essence of what this is. Uh, it's basically your rhythm section, but they can also play the melody. They can also play the harmony. It's all there. Um, actually, I have a trio, but it's a different setup. I, we have a bass, piano, and, and, and trumpet. Mm-hmm. and that still works because the bass and the piano are rhythm instruments. You don't need drums all the time. Sure. So any uh, two out of the three tripod is fine. You know, the, the piano uh, mm-hmm. is fine. And, uh, uh, but a trio is the classic jazz setup. And uh, there you are. That, that's So get, be my jazz historian for a second. Um, uh, the horns, the trumpet, the brass, who made it? Uh, such an integral part of jazz. Miles was it before Miles? Who, who oh, it was it? Louis Armstrong. Yeah, he, he was he was the one, the only. Miles used to say very famously, "Hey, I ain't playing nothing that that, that Pops hasn't played already." Okay, I already played all that shit. Uh, I'm just playing <laughs> some stuff, and that's it. I mean, I, it's all Louis. I'll tell you a quick story. Um, I was in New York once on a business trip. And out of nowhere, I thought, you know what? I, I love Lou Soloff from Blood, Sweat, and Tears. I think we all know that sure. group, that 60s and 70s. And they still play in, in a different incarnation. But Lou was their trumpet player. And he's become just a quintessential jazz player, an absolute artist. And I'd seen him in New York a year before. And I thought, you know what? I picked this instrument up again. I started playing again 15, 16 years ago. So I called him up. He picks up the phone. Come on. Nicest guy. He goes, when you're in New York, you know, come on out. We'll do a lesson. I'm in Chelsea. Come on up. To, it's, an up it's an upstairs thing. It's a walk up. I'm like, sure. We had a lesson. And he goes, who do you like to listen to? And I said, well, I like this trumpet player and I like this band, et cetera. He goes, he goes no, 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 no. Lewis. Lewis Armstrong. You've got to listen to Lewis. That's where it started. He played everything that these guys play, but better. And that's just what you got to do. And I've been listening to him ever since. West Steve's the goat. He's the greatest of all time. There's nobody close. I don't think there's anybody close. I don't think anybody. He basically invented pop music. And that's indisputable. You know, he, he started it. It was all him. You know, he was able to bring popular music and swing it, which had never been done before. Nobody thought, what's the swing beat? You know, on two and four. Everyone's mm-hmm. clapping on one and three all the time. He's going two and four. And four, one, two, three, four, like this. And that was him. You know, people were like, that's fantastic. And you know what? If you listen to some of the great rock drummers now, uh, there's a guy named, um, I think it's, I think it's first thing. Yeah, it's Brad Hargreaves on Third Eye Blind. Okay. Everything he plays. You can hear the little bit of swing in what he's doing. And all the great rock drummers do it. Um, Van Halen did it. Uh, if you listen to California Girls, that's a swing tune. It's just what it is. And it, and it gets infectious and you want to move. And that's how it became popular. And that's where the jazz is. Which so so here's the, the, maybe a strange question, but it sort of it sparks in my mind from what you just said. Would uh, Louis Armstrong have been the giant that he is and became if he were white? And the reason I asked the question is, would he have been written off as kind of an eclectic white guy who didn't fit the mold of all the mainstream musicians of his era, and he wouldn't have been as big a star? It, 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 you know, an accident of history. I think what happened in the 20s is there was a, a, a greater inclusion in the 20s. You saw some of the best musicians in the world. Most of them were African-American. Mm-hmm. Uh, come out of New York, Chicago, Kansas City. 
and they were simply better. The white musicians were fine. Paul Whiteman and his band were terrific. Betty Goodman was wonderful. Artie Shaw, expert clarinetist. But the guys who were really inventing, this still happens. It all starts in the black community. Right. It always has, and it probably always will. Uh, you know, famously, when Pat Boone did, uh, what was it, Little Richard's tunes? You know, it was like, really? Mm-hmm. Okay, but who started that? Well, Little Richard, you know, so it, it just... So if, if Lewis was white, I don't even I don't think that makes any sense. He wouldn't have been playing that music. It wouldn't have happened. But that's what I mean. It's a strange accident of history to me that in a time where black folks were held down in so many ways and black artists music was stolen, they were never paid what white artists were paid and all of that. Maybe we don't know all we know about Lewis Armstrong if if he's white. Hard to say, um, but he was who he was, and he's been the most imitated musician of all time. Yeah, and this is what happens when I get up at three fifteen every day. These bizarre sidebars occur to me. Like, like what happened if he was? <laughs> and he wasn't. Like you played it well. We're not playing tennis, but you volleyed that back nicely to me. I try. I try. Um, a couple more jazz questions before we talk about Ramsey Lewis. Yeah. Uh, the coolest show you've ever seen jazz wise. I know you talked about you guys in college, you and your friends would go to the Hollywood bowl and you'd see this act or that act, but who really blew you away? It was miles. Um, it was the mid eighties. Um, he wasn't the musician he was, but he was more of what he, I think wanted to be. He had segued away from doing traditional jazz and got into fusion. Miles reinvented himself constantly. That was a wonderful thing about Miles Davis. He didn't just rest on his laurels, play the old stuff all the time. Saw him at the Hollywood Bowl in 1986, and it was one of the most intriguing and inspiring things I'd ever witnessed. He uh, and his and his band were starting a piece of music. I believe it was Cindy Lauper's "Time After Time." He had covered that, and I thought, "Wow, what an interesting choice, you know, to cover Cindy Lauper." Sure. Doesn't swing. You know, there's no swing to time after time. Time after time. Yeah, exactly. Time. It's almost like a clock. He turned it into a jazz piece and it started softly and it built and it built. And you started seeing people in the front row stand up. This is over a 20 minute period, 30 minutes. And then people in the middle standing up. All the box seats are all standing. Everyone in the back row standing, clapping. It was, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. It was one of the most inspiring moments uh, that i've ever ever seen and uh i'll never forget it miles was special i think i told you the story that um i didn't know ramsey lewis well but obviously he is a chicago icon but he became a national and an international star for all the right reasons because he was an incredible player mm-hmm. and also an incredibly generous and 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 decent man who kind of jumped back into our business he was on a jazz station here in chicago called wnua for years it no longer exists Mm-hmm. and uh, did a nice job of announcing. Now, he did one thing that they never taught me. He got out of the way of the music. I usually got in the way. Um, <laughs> but every great jazz talent who ever came through Chicago in the years he was on the radio, of course, did a show. And uh, he was fun to listen to when I had the opportunity. We're actually out at the same time. But fast forward to, I guess it was probably 20 years ago, and um, the British game show um, called... Um, now I'm spacing on the name of the game show. Uh, oh, you're the weakest link. The weakest link. Oh, sure. Right. So the weakest well, link did a couple of promotional stunts mm-hmm. and they wanted to fly Chicago talent, radio talent to LA to do the show mm-hmm. and therefore pop a number in Chicago or ratings number did the same thing, I think in New York. So Steve Dahl and I, and a couple other people um, and Ramsey Lewis were amongst those on the plane. So we do the weakest link with the crazy British lady. Mm-hmm. And the first two people voted off the show were Ramsey Lewis and me. (laughs) (laughs) What a wicked thing to have in common. (laughs) So, so Ramsey ends up voted off first. He ends up back in the green room. I'm 30 seconds behind him. Steve Dahl is uh, giggling like, uh, I don't know, snidely whiplash. uh, And, uh, and and we go back and, and, and talk. And I, I just, in the brief encounters we had, it was cool because I knew what a star he was. I knew what a talent he was just to be in his presence. And I just think it's nice for people to hear that the people you admire were who you'd hope they'd be. 
Yeah, he was a prodigy. I mean, he started playing at a very, very young age. Uh, I think he went professional at a very young age. Um, I don't know a lot about his history. Um, I just love his music. You know, he was a very melodic player. Uh, he was one of the first uh, to have a number one hit song on the radio, The In Crowd. Uh, that was a purely jazz piece, with no vocals. Um, it's just beautiful music. You know, he knew how to connect. And uh, his passing is very sad. You know, it's a sad thing that, to, to see him gone. But uh, he loved covering pieces, too. You know, and he had a great run. And speaking of those covers, I'm going to ask you about a couple in a second. But you mentioned the in crowd. I didn't realize that the in crowd was a Dobie Gray, Dobie Gray Driftaway, was originally a Dobie Gray hit. And Ramsey Lewis actually covered Dobie Gray's hit and did that version. And you know, had a much bigger hit, uh, hit with it. Anyway, so the in crowd becomes a hit, Ed. Um, and uh, this is after uh, the Dobie Gray uh, hit in the uh, in the 60s. I'll tell you what I'll do. When we get to the end of this, I'll play you a little bit of the in crowd and uh, some of the other songs we're talking about here. And uh, also something from Ed's album, which he was nice enough to let me hear, which is fantastic. Well, I'm thrilled to do it. Share it with you. And we'll find out uh, we'll find out what the uh, plan is to get that out when and all those things that go with it. Uh, did you know did you know Ramsey Lewis actually did a cover of Hang on Sloopy? <laughs> Vague memory of that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is hilarious. And of course, he made it cool. He did a cover of Summer Breeze from Seals and Crofts. It was fantastic. Yes, it's a wonderful piece and uh, jazzier than you think it would be. You know, he was able to take a rock tune or a standard and, and just play his brand of jazz with it. You know, he had a, a real knack for that. He was tremendous. And, and then, like, um, almost like not Dobie Gray, Gray, more like Dobie Gillis, you know, you just picture, <laughs> you know, Maynard Krebs hanging there with his, you know, shoulders slumped and just dig into the beat, man. You know, it was just Jack Kerouac in the background, smoking a dube. It, it, it just, there's just something about everything Ramsey Lewis played that was either needed bad lighting, some cigarette smoke in the background, ice clinking in glasses but then again that's the soundtrack of jazz right that's the soundtrack that was probably in his head but he was putting these things together you're like oh this is sound great where i play well everyone plays at clubs like that you know, and they still do you know there's vibrato out here in la it's herb alpert's club where i played i've been fortunate five times and that's what you hear is glass clinking no smoke thank goodness but it's just that nightclub feel it's really cool um the greatest uh, jazz cut of all, you know, he goes, oh, what's the greatest song of all time? You know, it's a good oh, argument to have with your friends. And it's an unfair question to ask you, but, uh, you know, being the player you are and the aficionado you are and the lover of the art you are, um, you told me something about the Bill Evans trio. And I sadly admit to you, my friend, I don't know the Bill Evans trio, and I certainly should, right? Well, you should. And uh, you know what? I, I know the trio and uh, the bass player's name always escapes me. <laughs> I know it's Paul Motion on drums and, uh, and Bill Evans on piano. And the bass player is wonderful. And his name just always blows right out of my brain. But then again, that's why I have a Medicare card. <laughs> I have an excuse for all of these problems. So I'll tell you what, I'll look it up while we talk. But Bill Evans was, you know, we talk about color, you know, in jazz, uh, mm -hmm. race. <clears throat> and when Bill Evans came up with Miles, it was a very unique thing because you had Miles, who was very famously um, a strong black man. You know, he uh, yeah. that this was our music and that's the way it is. And I don't like people stealing my stuff. And if you want to come into this group, you better be good. Well, you don't get wider than Bill Evans. And he started playing, and Miles was immediately, oh, no, you got to be with me, man. You know, you... Then there was Gil Evans, no relation. And he had, um, I think it was a 13-piece set, and there was another 19-piece thing that he did. He orchestrated pieces with, with Miles, and they would produce them together. And it was just absolutely astounding work. And these were white men. So he didn't really, you know, he has that, that reputation, for not being kind, perhaps, to, you know, a, a, a people of a, a different color. But that's not really true. You know, the deal was, is if you could play, you could stay. And that's just the way it was for him. Um, looking up the uh, Bill Evans trio, I really should. And, and what, a, what, what a cool um, motto to have, uh, because Miles Scott was LaFaro. of a certain. Scott LaFaro played bass. Yeah, he was. What one. was his name? Scott LaFaro. Scott LaFaro. A-R-O, yeah. Is it traditional to forget the bass player? Oh, yeah. 
it's the old joke. It's like, I don't listen to jazz tastings every time I turn it on, it's a bass solo. <laughs> My son, Ross, who uh, also is the executive producer of this podcast and takes care of the editing. Plus, man, uh, trust me, I give him plenty hey, of that. Yeah. 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 You know, Ross, he, he played stand up bass for a while. Um, is that is stand up bass the trombone or I should say the tuba of the stringed instruments? It's actually the judicial uh, branch of the uh, of the of the, of the trio. <laughs> Uh, you've got the president is the drums, you've got the legislature is the piano, and the judge is the bass player. Uh, I appreciate you tied it back into politics. This was Witten Marsalis a reflection, but it, but it, it, I believe it to be pretty close to the truth. Ron Carter, another great bass player, refined it even further. Goes, we're the quarterback, man. We're we're the guy that sets the tone. You better follow what we're doing because you're not. You can't hear us. You're, it's just not going to work. And I can tell you, when I play in big bands and the bass players in the other side of the room, for whatever reason, maybe it's COVID, they want to space everyone out. I'm lost. I'm like, I can't hear the changes. I don't know where we are. What are we doing? You know, it's the bass player. We all poke fun at the bass player. But if you don't feel it and hear it, you're just not, you're not going to be part of what's going on. You know, it's really important to have that, have that construct, have that bass player. And bass players can be cool if they choose to. Can be. Oh, they're the coolest guys in the band. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's not even close. There's a guy named Kevin O'Neill who I play with often. And I, I, I consider him one of the best musicians I've ever played with. Um, and uh, you just learn something every note he plays. Um, oh, they got Latif, who I play with on Tuesdays. He's wonderful. Um, one after the other. I mean, uh, and my trio is Jeff Takaguchi. And this guy is... Just phenomenal. I mean, and he listens so well. If you're going in one direction, he follows you right along. And that's the wonderful thing about jazz music that we really didn't touch on yet. It is interactive. It's not set in stone. Big band music somewhat. You know, um, even my sextet is overly structured sometimes. And that's why I love my trio. Because you can go in one direction, and then they follow you along. Or the piano player is trying to do a little chromatic thing, going up and higher or whatever. Well, you follow along with that. And it's all within you know, the framework of the language of jazz, but you're listening and interacting and there's just nothing like it. See, that's cool because I've never had it explained that way. And, and, you know, from comedy and we in comedy, even though I come from standup, right. uh, the rule in improv is yes. And, yeah. and it sounds like it's the same in jazz. It's the same. In fact, my friend, Paul literal, who I play with on, um, on Tuesdays, a trumpet player, a very, very funny guy. He's one of the funniest people I've ever met. And we do the yes and all night long. You know, he'll say something about somebody in the front and I'll go, yeah, but, you know, yeah. And, and then, you know, and it becomes this hysterical. And the trombone players turn around going, are you guys doing, are you taping this act? You know, what's going on here? That's what we do. It, 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 it's, it's very much jazz musicians are some of the funniest people you'll ever meet. They're just absolutely a riot. So when I hear the great Joe Walsh and, and, and Don Fingers Felder, Back in the day on the Eagles, having a, a guitar solo standoff on Hotel California. It's good, but do it every night, boys. Every night and every night it's a little bit different, you know, because they're listening and going, hmm, let's play off what the last riff he played was and let's expand on that. And then after Joe's done with that riff and they go off to another riff and he has to follow that. So, so, so that's the thing that, that, that comes up in comedy all the time. Like we will bust each other's balls by taking something in a direction that I don't think you can keep up with. And it's great. Do jazz musicians do that to each other? Uh, yeah. I mean, sometimes it's a cutting session. It's like I can do better than that, which is not really kind, but that happens all the time. You know, there's a number of players I kind of do that with consciously or unconsciously, where I'm just going, you know, I can, I can play better than that. That's fine. Of course, if sure. I, you know, shoot a brick then everyone knows it you know, and then they all know what i was doing <laughs> i was trying right. to play someone so you can really embarrass there's a competitive nature to it you know that that um a lot of people don't realize and uh, cutting sessions were very common back uh in the 40s and 50s in harlem that was a big deal you go out to the clubs you get your you know your lip beat up because you're trying to beat the other guy I want to bring this back to uh, your album that we that, you know just barely scratched the surface on but before we do that let me talk about a couple other things you and I are both um, uh, lovers of radio. It's given us both, you know, nice lives. My life. And uh, I'm very fortunate to be uh, where I am and to be on the radio at WLS and to try and 
bring that back in my own way and in a different way than the rest of the day. Um, be different than it was in the Lujek days, you know, or, or any of the other days. It's going to be a new LS. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I hope people have listened and get a chance to listen. But radio still, to me, is the purest form of mass media and uh, is being shoved into an early grave by the people that own them and operate them. Um, but I'll do it for at least a few more years if they'll have me. And so far, it's been a, a nice return. But you wrote, you wrote a book for the love of radio, which I love. And somebody said to me, well, yeah, it's, it's good, but you love it because you're in radio. Please tell me people who have read it, who aren't in radio, love it too. I got a couple of really lovely reviews um, that really blew my mind. One was from a, a singer named Susie out of New York. Uh, I think she's in Florida now. And um, I had never met her. She had never met me. And she bought the book and she put a review up. that was so touching. It was like... Uh, the whole idea of what this guy was talking about was completely anathema to me. I didn't understand it. What do you mean? He's a sex crazed moron, which is the subtitle <laughs> book and uh, a media nut, you know, like I don't even know what that means. And then she said seven pages in, I couldn't put it down. I thought, well, that's very, very sweet. And, uh, and the other was from a Chicago legend, Bob Newhart, who had picked it up uh, mostly because uh, Barbara, my, my mother-in-law shoved it down his throat and said, here, this is Ed's book. <laughs> <laughs> And out of nowhere, um, he, uh, he, he, he says to me, he goes, what, what can I do to help you with this? I said, what do you mean? He goes, I love it. I think this should be, you know, some kind of a TV series or something. And I said, well, Bob, I mean, I don't know what to tell you, but write a few words. I don't care. Whatever you want to say. And the review right. is on, you can see the review on Amazon. And it's, it was just incredibly touching. And, um, and if you have Bob Newhart in your corner, that's not so bad. Well, people go, well, but you know him through your you know, in-laws. I'm like, yeah, you know, but if you know Bob, I told a story to Bob once at a dinner and he looked at me straight in the face and he went, that wasn't a very good story. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I was just, you know, red faced and beat up about it. But I was like, the truth, the truth, man, give me the truth. Right, right, and that, right. And he does not goof around with that. And you know, he loves my wife, Mindy, because she's funny, you know, and if you've got something going on, there's something you could present to him, uh, whether it's casually at a dinner or whether it's professionally, he will address it and he will address it honestly. And that's why I love Bob so much. You know, through an accident, a circumstance at your wedding to Mindy, um, my wife and I ended up sitting with the new hearts briefly. And do you talk about being thrilled that one of your heroes is who you hoped he would be? He's as nice a man as I hoped he would be. Lovely man. Um, will address you by name uh, and not forget your name throughout the entire evening. And um, he's just a terrific guy. You know, I've seen him do it over and over again. He's very charming. It barely even, there's no effort for that for him because that's just natural. That's how he is. And I can tell you from a stand-up perspective, um, uh, he is one of the all-time greats. Um, yeah. He, he just... Line impeccable timing invented a style and uh obviously had a nice little run in television two or three times too a couple times yeah did pretty good there was that weird dream dream sequence which sort of invalidated an entire series (laughs) it's the greatest end in sitcom history the The dream sequence end to the vermont show is when they flash back to the chicago show (laughs) is the greatest sitcom ending ever ever uh, two funny stories about that. Um, we're way off on a tangent, but why not? Um, it was Bob's wife that came up with that, Jenny Newhart. Is that right? Oh, yeah. The writers were going back and forth. What did we do? You know, because they knew that the series was ending. Bob was done. He didn't want to do any more. I think it was nine seasons. I think he had had enough. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I, I didn't know him then. This was before uh, my time. <clears throat> but Jenny just said, well, why don't you just make the whole series a dream, Bob? Just make the whole series a dream. It's a dream, and then you wake up with Suzanne, and that's where you are. That's tremendous. God, that's so perfect. And, of course, it was legendary. The second story is about my dad, who calls me up at the end of Newhart. I happened to be watching at the time. This like 30 years ago. And he goes, hey, did you see the end of Bob Newhart's show? I said, yeah. I said, wasn't that great when he ends up back in bed? He's like, what are you talking about? He missed the last part. As soon as Bob hit himself on the head, you know, it went black. No, he turned the channel. (laughs) 
and this is this is pre VCR in every house days. VCR, DVR, you know. So it's like, Dad, you missed it. There's no YouTube. Oh like, my! It's like you're gonna have to wait for the rerun or the news at night. They'll they'll show it to you. But now that is wild. You lost the moment. You know, <laughs> that was my old man. He always missed out on stuff like that. You know, you and I are now in the brave new world of podcasting together separately. Um, yeah. And as a producer, tell me about the real Brady bro show you're doing. Oh, yes. Thank you for mentioning that. Um, out of nowhere, through a mutual friend, I met Christopher Knight, who played Peter Brady on um, the Brady yeah, Bunch. Yeah. And uh, we were going over ideas. This was like two and a half years ago. And we're thinking, what can we do? What can we do? What do you like to do? He goes, well, I'd like to do interviews. I said, all right. So we tried that. And he's good at them, really good. But I began to think there must be some way to really just directly connect to your audience. I mean, they don't know you for this. They don't know you as the interviewer. You know, I mean, why don't we do something about the Brady's? He goes, well, what do you got in mind? So I talked with a couple of collaborators and we all sort of discussed it. Uh, you know, Paul Anderson, of course. Yeah. A mm -hmm. Fine agent. He took on the, the project with me and we all had a brainstorm. And I don't know who tossed out the final idea, but the, the, the concept was, Let's do an episodic recap. That's what's really happening. And uh, I said, yeah, but he can't do it alone. And I'm not the guy to do it. I, I saw the show, but I'm, I'm not any expert at, at all. And he immediately said, how about Barry Williams? I said, well, how about Barry Williams? Is he available? Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. He lives out in Branson, Missouri. And now that we have all this whole business, you know, the COVID sort of brought out doing podcasts away from traditional studios and into zoom and Squadcast and all the other um all the other platforms and now they do it uh they do episodic recaps every week and then um and then also each week i do a q a i host a q a reading questions from the facebook page at real brady bros and it's a lot of fun i mean we just have a blast doing it it's so much fun we must have had i mean well over two hundred thousand downloads by now and it's just we're just absolutely having a ball and the, and the fans love it and the brothers are getting along? The brothers get along, maybe because they're not really brothers. That's why they get along. <laughs> so uh, they're very different people. It's funny. You can hear that in the show. You can hear how Barry and, uh, and, and Chris are really uh, completely different people. Uh, we've already had Susan Olsen on as a guest. We're going to have Michael Oakenland on soon, like Bobby. And uh, Lloyd Schwartz, you know, who was there with Sherwood in the beginning. Sure. So, so that'll be a lot of fun. But it's a great, it's a great, it's a great podcast. And it's, it's, you know, we, we don't swear on it. We, you know, don't drop F-bombs. It's just, as you would suspect, you know, fairly clean and nice and funny as hell. And we have a blast. You treat it with uh, the same sort of vibe the original show had and with all the great cameos. I mean, has Joe Namath been on yet? Joe Namath has not been on. Uh, we're trying to reach out to his people. Um, that could be a lot of fun. There was... Um, Oh, gosh, one after the other. I'm forgetting a lot of the uh, the cameos that, that people later come on. We did have one thing that was funny. We noticed that there was a Harry Winkler who had written an episode. And one of the guys said, that was Henry's dad. And we come thought, on. Oh, really? Okay. Well, the show's over. We taped it already. I go online. I'm like, uh, no, his dad's, you know, Murray or something. He's like, it's not his dad. It's <laughs> <laughs> some guy named Harry Winkler. So, uh that was a mistake. So we had to correct that one at a later episode, but that's the fun of it. You know, it's not, you know, we're not working for anybody. So we, you know, F it up too bad, you know? Well, but I also think you hit on something that is, is probably something that's going to start to become a big, big trend. You know, Dana Carvey and uh, David Spade are doing a fly on the wall where they're recapping SNL, not episode by episode, but they're bringing in the old cast members and people in and around the show and people, I mean, we're in a wave of nostalgia here because you can get everything online. So why not do it? I think it's a cool idea. Podcasting is getting to a point where people like you and I can actually find an audience. Uh, mm -hmm. when it, started, it was all basically, you know, 16 to 24 year olds. And now it's like Facebook did, you know, it gentrifies into a, you know, an older demographic. And uh, I'm pleased to say that, you know, we're basically a Gen X show with, you know, a baby boomer slant. And it's working. You know, we're able to get all of these demographics, just like the actual TV show did. It was yeah. one of those wonder years kind of shows. It brought everybody in. And uh, because you had kids in, you had adults in, you had adult humor, you had child humor, you had all of it. And it all played beautifully together. The real Brady Bros. Everywhere I get my podcast? 
everywhere you get your podcast, please, everywhere, anywhere. And, and by the way, the book, again, for the love of radio, I think you'll love it. And I, I hope you get that as well. All right. Last thing for my friend, Ed Mann and me. Yeah. And we started out by talking about the great Ramsey Lewis, and we've hit on some basics for Jazz 101, Jazz for Dummies like me. No, stop. Um, well, let's talk about your album. What's it called? It's called Standard Issue. Um, we've actually had it in the can now for a number of months, uh, but just because I do a bunch of other stuff, you know, we have not been able to get it out yet, but we're done. So it's just now a matter of getting it printed and getting it publicized. We'll probably tease out some YouTube clips. Um, selling the hard copies is something I really want to do, and I really want to do it on vinyl. I really want to do vinyl on this one. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think people would like it that way. It's the fastest growing medium in audio right now. Isn't that weird? And um, I, I'm real excited about doing it that way. You can have, you know, you hold it in your hand and read the lighting out. It's just like, you know, it's like that old, almost famous quote from the movies that, um, that, that she said in the car, that the Penny Lane character. It says, you know what you can do? You can visit your friends at the record store. There they are. You know, all the people that you love to hear. There they are. Yeah, right. You read it, and there it is. <laughs> That's the cool thing about kids who think record stores are something new. Um, the ability to go in and have that tactile thing where you flip through albums. They're coming back. Yeah, they're coming back. You're going to see more and more of them. Uh, so it, it, it's going to come out in vinyl. It's called Man Sextet, which is the name of our, our little group. And it's called uh, Standard Issue. And there's, I think, uh, 10 or 11 cuts. Tell me about the folks you play with. Uh, let's see. Um, our music director on this is Paul McDonald. He arranged most of the music. Uh, he's a pianist and a fine one. Um, and he is an expert arranger. So these were a lot of his arrangements. You know, I'd say well over half of them. Uh, Dwayne Benjamin's the other arranger. Um, and uh, he's a trombone player. Um, he produces shows all over the place. And lately he's been doing shows with BTS. So he's really just crushing it wherever he goes. Uh, and a tremendous player. And he... I believe the cut that we're not going we're not going to hear this one today, but the one I think is going to come out as a single is Marvin Gaye's Inner City Blues. And right. It's, take on that. Um, it's really funky and really unique uh, and up to date. Uh, and the whole album, I'm proud to say, has no vocals. We're going to try to release this without, you know, leaning on a vocalist. Uh, we have played vocals many times in live, but this album will be, you know, sans vocals. Um, we play with a guy named Sammy Kay. Sammy Kestenholtz on drum, and uh, he's a Grammy nominee, um, uh, a tremendous drummer. Uh, there's no one that fits a pocket and digs it deeper than, than Sammy. He's really tremendous. Uh, he's a number of solos throughout the, uh, throughout the album, but it's his pocket. It's just the way he handles both swing, brushes, uh, and also just funky beats. I mean, he's just wonderful. Uh, let's see. Danny Heffernan on tenor sax. Um, he plays a lot with... Um, uh, Kenny Cetera, not Peter Cetera, okay. but Kenny, Kenny, the brother. And they do a thing called Chicago Experience, and they tour all over the country. Uh, I know they've done a lot of stuff out in the Midwest, naturally. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and he sounds just like his brother Peter. I mean, he looks like him, sounds like him, and Danny's a sax player. So he's with us. Uh, we have, um, see, who am I missing? We did the front line um, and uh, bass player. Uh, Jeff Takaguchi is on uh, bass on most of the album. And Kevin O'Neill also plays on Inner City Blues. Uh, and I think one other cut. Uh, tremendous musician. So I'm just. So you're not, you're not playing around. Uh, you're not messing around. You're not picking up people off the street like a Jimmy Kimmel bit. These are great musicians <laughs> and talents you've worked with off and on for a long time. Yep. Kevin actually is a Grammy winner. He won for working on Ghostbusters. Uh, and uh, he's just a, literally one of the best uh, musicians I've played with. I haven't played with him in a while, and I miss him. Uh, you got to get this album out. I loved it. We're going to do it. We're going to play a little bit of it. But yeah, it's uh, the piece I think you're going to share uh, with your fantastic and smart audience um, is a piece I wrote called Lullaby Bye. And it was dedicated to my kids who are sick of lullabies. So hence Lullaby Bye. And uh, again, uh, no vocals. But it's uh, this one was arranged for big band, 17 pieces by my friend Harry Smallenberg. Um, I wrote it once after watching uh, the John Lennon piece on Netflix where he was working out Imagine. This was just post-Beatles. Mm -hmm. You've seen this, this, this thing he did. Uh, and really beautiful. And it just showed him noodling the piano, trying to figure something out, doing different incarnations of Imagine. I thought, boy, I miss writing music. I really do. So I sat down at a keyboard, pulled up my horn a little bit, and within about 40 minutes, I had this tune. 
And I thought, this has got to be, we got to try this. So this, this has to go back a few years because I know your, your sons to be young grown men now. Well, no, this was 2019. Yeah. This is when I uh, was working on this. My sons are, they were fairly grown then too. Yeah. They're 20 and 23 now. But it's a sweet, sweet memory for any dad to look back at, at, you know, and, 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 you know, watching your little boy go to sleep or falling asleep on you or your little girl um, and lullaby by no more lullabies for us. No more lullabies for us, dad. No more story time. I could have called it no story time, but that really wouldn't have been very musical. So uh, <laughs> I think, I think you made the right call. Yeah. Uh, we're going to play like, it for you here. Room, dad, I think is the next time I'm going to write. So it's, not, it's none of your business, dad. <laughs> I don't need that advice, dad. Um, Love you, dad, which means goodbye. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> pretty much a goodbye. Ah, uh, buddy, I can't tell you how much fun it is to talk to you again. And when the album is officially ready to roll, I'm going to have you back and not just on the podcast, but the radio show as well. It'd be great. Thank you. And uh, we'll talk about that uh, in, in greater detail. But thanks for the jazz lesson. And uh, everybody go uh, listen to The Real Brady Bros. Get the book for the love of radio. And remember, it's my friend, Ed Mann. Um, thanks for being on live from my office. A lot of fun. I'm glad, glad to do it and hope to see you soon. Well, believe it or not, there is a break in interest rates, but it's not going to last. There's a slight drop in interest rates right now. And if you have to buy a house this summer, if you got to do a refi, there's no upside in waiting. Look, if you're purchasing a new home, refinancing your existing home, securing a VA loan or reverse mortgage, do what I always have done. Call Team Hochberg, a trusted local lender. Liam is a trucker. He called for a free consultation after being charged Crazy high closing costs by the rocket-loving lending people. Team Hochberg loan officer Johnny Hendrickson explained the costs that the rocket-loving lenders charged him. And the last time he refinanced, uh, he also needed some help, and Liam got it from the fine people at Team Hochberg. The point to all of this is, look, you got to pay off debt, uh, secure a full closing cost credit, can lower your payments, but you can only do it when you're doing it with the right people. And that's not the rocket-loving lenders. No, it's Team Hochberg. Liam got a great ride, not the rocket ride that took him nowhere with the ridiculously high closing costs. He got the Team Hochberg ride, and it saved him a bunch of money, over $3,500 a year. Listen, for you that listen to this podcast or listen to me on the radio on WLS, you probably already know how much Team Hochberg can help, but know that it's worked for my family, and I recommend it to yours. You at least ought to check it out. Uh, Team Hochberg can help you avoid getting violated by lenders charging ridiculously high closing costs, but they can't help if you don't call. 855-56-DAVID or 56david.com, 855-563-2843, or visit 56david.com. It's Lower.com, an equal housing lender, NMLS number 1124061. Thanks again to Edman. Stand by for some very cool music here in just a second. But first, in lieu of the normal charity that we do, allow me to tell you about uh, Kid of the Week because it's coming back to my radio show on WLS. Here's what you do. If you got a good story about a kid, good news about a kid, could be your kid, could be a kid you know, could be a small thing, could be a medium thing, could be a large thing. Whatever the case may be, I want to hear good news stories about kids. Uh, if it's somebody you've heard about, you think maybe I don't know about and uh, I should know about them, that's great as well. And on the uh, 5.30 to 9 show, Monday through Friday, the Steve Cochran Show on the Big 890 WLS, we're going to start awarding uh, thank yous and surprises as well to kids of the week. I'll make it easy for you. Just drop me an email, including your contact information and any information you have on the kid you're recommending. No more than a paragraph or two on the kid. We'll take it from there and uh, we'll get them on the radio. It's important to include contact information for the kid's family, parents, because, you know, we got to get permission to put them on the radio, obviously. So any help you can provide in giving us good news about kids means we will provide the public with good news about kids on Kid of the Week. All right, I promised you some music. We had a little technical mess up with this 
episode, I was going to put the music logically in the interview with Ed, but instead going to sample a little bit of it for you now, including a song you probably know from the great Ramsey Lewis. This was his biggest hit, uh, and it was originally done by Dobie Gray, Drift Away. Ramsey Lewis actually covered it, and uh, the in crowd was a smash. <laughs> Recorded live. Ramsey Lewis, as I'm sure you know, did tons and tons of great original stuff, but there's one other cover I wanted to play for you, which uh, made me laugh when I heard it. And then I heard, of course, how cool Ramsey Lewis made it. Do you remember this song? Hang on, Sloopy. Listen to this. I just love it. That's all. I just love it. Ramsey Lewis doing Hang On Sloopy. Now, in the interview, which you just heard, I asked Ed Mann about the greatest jazz cut ever, the one he loves best, and he talked about the great Bill Evans and the Bill Evans Trio, an artist who I didn't know and, well, Ed educated me on. This is an older recording, but you'll get a sense of it here. This is Ed's all-time favorite. It's called Waltz for Debbie. If you've already turned down the lights and put some ice cubes in a glass, listen, I get it. Totally understand. But I would highly encourage you to consume more Ramsey Lewis and Bill Evans Trio as well. Uh, It is a pleasure and an honor for uh, me to be able to play something from Ed Mann's upcoming album. It's called Standard Issue. And the song's called Lullaby Bye. It was dedicated, or is dedicated to his sons. Of course, we're done with lullabies after a certain age. There's a 17-piece big band arrangement on this cut, written by Ed and arranged by Harry Smallenberg. It features Ed on the flugelhorn, just one more thing Ed can do that I can't, uh, lead trumpet from Paul Litterell, uh, who played three uh, tours with the Stones, and Kim Richmond and Alto Sax and other veteran studio jazz cats. So here you go. Consider it a world premiere Uh, Ed Mann and friends uh, from Standard Issue. Uh, This is Lullaby Bye.
And we bring to a close the coolest episode ever of Live from My Office. Thank you, Ed Man. As I mentioned earlier, he'll be back when his album is ready to be fully promoted. In the meantime, thank you, Ross Cochran, for executive producing Live from My Office. And mostly thank to, uh, thanks goes to you for listening. I hope you liked it. A little different and uh, enjoyed it. Uh, my name is Steve Cochran. Thank you for listening live from my office 30 years plus on the airwaves you have turned your dial to me now you're tuned into my podcast it's live from my office steve from Ithaca, new york to carolina south w cochran steve from minneapolis and then Chicago twice, top rated shows achieved. Sit back, relax, and now listen to my show. When or wherever you are, cause you're on the go. A-list celebs with some laughs and great info. Live from my office, the Steve Cochran Podcast Show. Yeah, 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 yeah. No better place to be. Yeah, 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 yeah. Subscribe and like for free. glad you're with me it's live from my office steve thank you for listening to live from my office a service of monkey run productions all rights reserved the podcast is hosted by steve cochran and it's mixed edited and produced by me ross cochran support the show by subscribing wherever you're listening and by telling your friends about it follow steve on all social media channels including facebook instagram twitter and linkedin And make sure you check out this episode's show notes for relevant information discussed during the conversations. You can also email the show directly at thecochranshow at gmail.com with any questions or comments. And that's the best place to tell us about your favorite nonprofit so we can make sure we mention them on the next episode. Steve is available for corporate speaking gigs. He would love to emcee your event. And occasionally, he's funny. Thank you for listening. Head to CochranShow.com for more.